This is the Total Football Podcast. I am Declan Hart. And I'm Andrew Conway. Let's get on with the show. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. It's the history of the Tottenham. But this action is really incredible, incredible. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, you are an ostrich. Cristiano Ronaldo smashed a fan's phone following Maynard's 1-0 defeat to Everton this weekend, but don't worry, he said sorry, and he's even offered the fan a ticket to a United game, so surely all is forgiven. Yeah, it's great giving freebies. <laughs> like, they're literally things that they cost nothing to Cristiano Ronaldo. He didn't, uh Yeah. Like, in one regard, like, if it wasn't Cristiano Ronaldo and it was somebody else who was in that public eye so often who was, uh, you know, a co- not accosted, but, you know, bothered by people on a near constant basis, you can see them once in a while having that kind of breaking point, especially given the context. I, I don't know. It's just maybe we don't have the same sympathy for footballers and especially Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, like, the the other point that uh, that comes to mind is, like, do we even know that they're a United fan? Like, it could have been an Everton fan. Like, they were going down True. the tunnel True. at that point. I'm not sure an Everton fan would uh, care too much to go see this Man United side play football. Uh, unless they wanted to go see a comedy or something. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> like, it, it's also just, like, it's such a passionate thing. Like it, is, like, it isn't something we see other footballers do. So, like, the fact that he's done it. I think it does deserve to be called out because you can't just go around throwing your hands uh, at a fan like no matter how frustrated you are with what's happened on the pitch like it, it wasn't like you know even some of the more drastic things that you might see outside of the stadium after a game like this was just him walking down the tunnel and like a handful of people over by the kind of gate that's there um you know it didn't look like it was that out of the ordinary for an end of a game situation like a lot of the people around them were actually just leaving um, yeah. So you know, I didn't think it was like that crowd of an area either. So I th- such an over the top reaction, and the response has been so pathetic um, that I, I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth highlighting and mentioning because you can't like I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it's the most massive deal ever uh, concocted, and I don't think it's Eric Cantona. You know. Kung Fu scissor kicking a fan uh, at Seller's Park back in 1995 but it is you know probably the next evolution of the you know the players sticking their middle fingers up at the at the crowds when they're getting booed um yeah I clearly I don't think Ronaldo would like like to do this on a normal basis I don't think it's necessarily part of him uh at the same time it's stuff he shouldn't do uh we all know fans can be annoying we all know football fans can be annoying uh, especially after you lose, especially when you've had a bad game as he did, um, so you you can see the context and in, in the that, that led to the the circumstances. But yeah, the the response since has been pretty pitiful, and um, it's just another probably another footnote at the bottom of this of this season for Manchester United, and particularly the the return of Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United. Another thing to put in the negatives, you know, he scores a goal in one game, or he saves United in one game, and then he does something stupid like not contributing at all to the game and then smashing a phone at full time <laughs> yeah well it was uh, another weekend for of, of misery for my United against uh, an opponent that they really should have been beating considering Everton's uh, own position in the table two two clubs that have had a bad bad season and uh, now it looks like their top four hopes now for United are all up in smoke um, you know, as, as highlighted, it, it was a it was a poor performance as well. Um, but uh, yeah. uh, you know, on on the flip side, it looks like the club are trying to appoint Eric Ten Hag as as the, yep. the next manager. We'll see if Ten Hag takes it. Uh, it sounds like the ball is in his court. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll have plenty to discuss about that in the future. But what are your initial yeah. reactions to that? I think he's a good manager. I don't think any of us doubted that. I think he proved himself that he wasn't as much of a one-hit wonder when he, albeit with the same Ajax club, uh, returned to a high level of of European football and and really dominated the group stages this year. It obviously didn't go very well for them against Benfica. Um, But they they did extremely well and not the easiest group locking up Borussia Dortmund in the process. 
Um, and he did that with the second team he's built at Ajax, the second league winning side he's, he's built there in, in, in quite a competitive league as, in, and landscape that exists in recent times. He had a whole team taken off him, almost one and a half teams, if you will, between his Europa League and Champions League exploits. He lost more than more than a full, a full starting lineup of players uh, and had other things going against him. And he seemed to be able to bring players through, teach them to play a certain way of football, a very exciting style to watch. Um, in line with the so-called history of Manchester United, the Manchester United way, it's not it's not massively dissimilar for that in the kind of high pressing, high up and tumble, get the ball around the wings when it needs to, get the ball into creative forwards when you have to, and let them do the work. Um, so on paper, it all seems to work out. I have a few concerns more that you know he hasn't had a club of this level although you know Ajax is you know such a giant club but I think the microscope that's under that he gets put under at Manchester United by the English press and the international press for that matter is a lot more focused uh, and I also worry about the structures he worked under at Manchester United not being or the structures he's worked under at Ajax not being replicated at Manchester United uh, he had a, a technical director a sporting director a very close-knit team there until Mark Overbar has left recently but he was instrumental in that and Edwin van der Sar and, and, and a good you know firm coaching staff of, of quite excellent coaches throughout the youth system there and it's not something I, I'm i confident Manchester United being able to replicate at least in the short term so I think that might impact his his success and then the, the impatience of everybody uh, expecting Manchester United to do well with this appointment uh, concerns me because I don't think it's a it's a job that's going to go right in the first twelve months. It's not going to resolve everything. And United be back competing for the league and Champions League. I think it will take time, and I don't know if there's patience for that. Yeah, I think one thing in in that sense that might go in Ten Hag's favor is the fact that this season has been completely miserable. Like uh, this is probably the worst year that they've had since Boys took over in twenty thirteen. Um, you know, they're seven in the table. They might not even hit the, the points tally that Moyes did. They might not be in Europe next season. So this is a, a kind of a low point for them. So, um, you know, maybe that will give them a bit more curry with the with the, with the impatient uh, section yeah. uh, of both the media and the fans. So, um, I, but but we'll see. I don't know, though. I yeah. don't know. Are they at bottom yet? Because remember, like Liverpool is the parallel you have to draw with this. I don't think there's another parallel that exists. Liverpool in the 1990s. And, you know, they kind of did very similarly to Manchester United for the, like, it's it's hilarious how much they're matching each other in terms of winning cup competitions, getting up there, competing again, looking like they're back on track and then falling away, spending masses amount of money, at least for the time, uh, having some good kids and then a kind of fading away. We're, we're basically at Liverpool circa 1998, 1999, like the considerable amount of like, I know that was what, three seasons before they finished runners up by a, a bit back uh and a few more after that as well before before benitez came in and they actually started becoming more of a challenger again like if we were to follow the same timeline where like things will get worse before they get better yeah like in many sense this could be the Gerard julier then to continue that analogy like possibly and julier didn't do too bad a job at liverpool either no no second place won three european or three trophies in one season and and the the other thing as well that i think of like you you say how liverpool are an obvious allegory to what we're doing about you know but like you know may not themselves as well are very analogous from the post busby era uh, and we saw several managers struggle you know they even got relegated in that point so you know i don't think we're gonna hit that kind of low point um but um you hope you know they they were they were a cup team you know they'd have their their seasons when they they'd compete for a league title and fall away you know they kind of built a reputation before ferguson as kind of bottlers you know the 86 i think was a year where they were in there with uh, liverpool and everton in the title race in west ham and then they just completely fell away right at the end and weren't even close for a finish so they they'd kind of built up that reputation before ferguson obviously turned them into serial winners uh, and it, and it, is, it, it is interesting as well in the sense that if you look at the history of Manchester United, you know, they, they're a club that are built around um, Messiah figures, uh, I think is the term that Jonathan Wilson likes to use. Like they've only won, they've won 20 league titles, which is the most in England, but they've only done it with three managers, um, which is absurd, especially when you look at maybe the opposite of that at Chelsea, where they win it with, um, they, they haven't won quite as many, but they've won it with way more um, different people. So, yeah. 
and and one of those managers was over a hundred years ago as well. <laughs> we must we must say it. it was quite a while ago. Um, but like that shows how difficult of a place it is to succeed. Um, so yeah. uh, you know, like good luck to Ten Hag if he if he takes it. It's going to be a, a very difficult journey for him, as 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 the previous few managers have shown. Yeah, yeah. We haven't even mentioned the the squad rebuild that needs to be done there. Um, you know, that we were counting all of that as if he had a team ready to win straight away but i think united will be probably getting rid of first teamers uh this summer or at least players that com- compete regularly for first team places and that'll be that in itself will be a massive upheaval and it will take significant management to even get them playing in in the right way quickly uh, let alone coping with a new league as many of the players will no doubt do and coping with a new manager yeah, like if you remember back during Solskjaer's little stint, I think it was right after he'd been made permanent manager, they, they'd actually lost at Goodison Park 4-0. And uh, Solskjaer came out with a very fiery response saying, basically, none of these lot are going to be here next year. And then uh, you look at the team there on Saturday and nine of them, uh, nine that played that day that lost 4-0 are still at the club and six of them actually played um on saturday so um you know there's a lot of talk about rebuilding away united but there's been a very um you know there's not been a, yeah. a you know they've not carried that out so um yeah they, the contracts are ending at long last for a lot of these players though a lot of them especially ones that played at the weekend against against everton you know matic mata even pogba yeah pogba yeah lingard not even getting into the team as well he's uh he's out of contract this summer as well so maybe we'll actually finally see a bit of a rebuild uh, at old trafford but who knows well, yeah something has to give otherwise it's going to be a bunch of kids playing for united next season uh but arsenal's top four hopes also took a, a significant beating this week considering they lost twice since we last spoke three nil to palace and two one at home to the mighty brighton and uh you know a couple of injuries and, and everything's gone wrong for arteta yeah, um, the my predictions are in up in smoke and much like Arsenal's top four hopes. Um, I, 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 I do want to caveat that with there is quite a few games left. Like I was looking at the table, Manchester United are a fair bit back um, with with their recent results and their their one win in five, but they could still do it. Uh, at least theoretically, there's no nothing to believe that United couldn't win. You know, seven remaining games they're not all of them aren't unwinnable matches and we'll see how the, the league campaign goes and whether the, the more of their teams they're playing against go on the beach but back to Arsenal uh, who've had two games in a week against so-called on the beach teams in Crystal Palace and Brighton in 10th and 11th place respectively and they they were probably the worst performances of Arsenal's season like you know, up there with the, the games at the beginning of the season against Brentford, Chelsea and, and Man City and those games were caveated by Arsenal having COVID in the camp having players absent and just you know being out of shape really um and i i don't i don't think there's anything to really answer for these matches uh they they weren't there they they created very little uh for large portions of the match and really what arteta did in this game and and to an extent what he did against crystal palace was he saw a problem that exists in the squad which was kieran tierney's out for the rest of the season having got injured on international duty or just after international duty and he doesn't have a reserve left back he can rely upon or at least he doesn't think he does so he plays at his one of his few midfielders at left back that gets another one of his players injured uh who is his other crucial midfielder and then they try to overcompensate for that and it it destroys the whole working of the team it's 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 almost like pep guardiola's uh, uh overthinking of a tie but happening at a much lower level in the league and happening at a much lower stakes game uh, and it just having the same impact uh, overthinking a game against an opposition to try and cope with losses in your own side and it's just resulting in your team being unable to perform and really Arsenal have gone from a position where they had the top four race in hand like if they had won these two games they'd be up where Chelsea are um, just two points off off, off of uh, third place but instead now they, they're you have to say are probably not favourites for, for the fourth place I think Spurs have won that off them yeah, like um, I think as well, you can kind of see his inexperience, Arteta, in the way that he's handled this. Like the the way that he's also handled the likes of Lacanga and Tavares this season has kind of been a bit unusual, in that he'll give them a, a run out and then they won't perform amazingly, uh, and he'll just toss them aside. Like it seems very harsh. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Does that speak to a larger opinion on how youth players are going to come into the team or young players are going to come into the team or not, or is it just? specific with these two individuals but it is you know a little concerning that he's just tossing them aside like i i, I didn't think Tavares was was like he, he didn't have a great game against palace and 
Um, you know, it was definitely a big drop off from what we'd expect from if Tierney had been playing. But I don't know he deserved to just be completely thrown out of the side in order to put Xhaka there, um, who's not a left back at all. It seems. And, and it and destroyed it costs, the balance yeah. of the team to do that, yeah. which just seemed, um, it just seemed needless, which um, yeah. I'm not saying that's why they've lost both these games. I think there's a lot of factors as to why they've lost. Like they did play against two teams that also played quite well. Um, you know, they weren't passive in this situation, the opposition. So, um, you know, it's just the timing of everything has been quite poor. And it goes to show that there is, there is a, a drop off there in Arsenal's squad between the starting team and, and the bench which uh, is something that they'll need to address in the summer oh yeah absolutely like the the the, the story is that Arteta only sc- only really trusts 12 players and if you're not in those bunch of 12 players you're not you're not really relied upon like I think he's paying the price if we go back to earlier in the season Arsenal played against Nottingham Force in the third round of the FA Cup and Tavares did, wasn't having a, a shocker but he wasn't having a good game and Arteta pulled him off after 35 minutes uh, and I think he did that to make a an example of him and to try and shock Tavares into performing better, um, and it hasn't worked because he, he this was his first real important match since that FA Cup loss Tavares that is, and he didn't have a great game and he was taken off at half time again and I I don't think you can do that to a player and and his confidence be restored if. He, he, you know you can't do that to a, to a guy and, and hope that he's going to come back and perform for you if he and I think he's been shown that and having not given him the the vote of confidence and starting him at the weekend and, and going with the weird jack at left back which Arsenal did last season and it cost him Europa League place if we're being honest they, they got done a few times um, from having jack at left back including in the Europa League um, at the time it, it, it cost him a, a place possibly it cost him a place uh, in the latter stages of that tournament or in the the latest stage of that tournament, rather, um, and and the, he has no, you know, he had the summer to resolve that. They signed Tavares to do it, and and it, it it obviously hasn't worked. And the lightness of that team is is quite worrying, um, considering where they've got to this season. And I suppose they're a bit ahead of schedule. You know, they're 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 outperforming a team that I think did they finish eighth last season? Yeah. Or yeah, like they're they're in theory outperforming, jumping four places in the in this tight league is it might be maybe considered outperforming, but really considering where they had the game, where they had the the top four race, they had it in their hands. They they basically had to just do have a better record than the other clubs, and they've squandered that now in in the matter of two winnable matches, and now they have to play among others Spurs, uh, Manchester United, and Chelsea in the next few weeks, and that's going to be three pretty tough games yeah and as well like the like when you see like obviously party was injured but like when you're tuned down against palace and the way that he just sloppily gave the ball away in the middle of the pitch when he knows there's no one really behind him and you know he's injured of course so he can't really run but the way that he just stopped was just it looked um it was a bad look and then he did it against yeah. yeah, he did it against Tottenham as well. I think was that earlier in the season or was it last season? Uh, um, I can't remember. Exactly. But you remember he went off the field. He walked off the pitch. Um, oh yeah, and, that was last season. And, yeah, Harry Kane and, and Son. One of them scored. Um, was I mean, it was it was very odd. Um, like I think they the you know maybe a, a a talk has to happen to say do not do that. Like bring the guy down. You're injured. Like he did indicate before that play. Because I think it came from an Arsenal corner. It was definitely an Arsenal attack uh, that that came out and Partey just couldn't control the ball. He clearly had a thigh injury. Perhaps he shouldn't have played that game because he had a shocker of a match anyway. Um, but yeah, like it, it's they, someone maybe needs to have a talk to him and say, no, you, you have to do something in that. You can't just expect the referee to stop the game. And, you know, he's been here nearly two seasons now, so maybe someone needs to educate him in the Premier League because that did... It ended that 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 Crystal Palace game as a contest. Like they lost three nil. Arsenal didn't score in that game. Didn't look like scoring, but at least there was a contest happening, and and really that killed it. And you can say the same about uh, Brighton at the the weekend. They almost gave up before they even started it. The way they set out. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Spurs uh, they're absolutely flying under Antonio Conte. They won what was a four nil against Aston Villa in uh, in what looked like a pretty uh, close contest in the first half before just blowing them away in the second with uh, Harry Kane and, and Son and Kulazewski as a front three just on absolute fire at the moment and that surely does put them in pole position now for top four absolutely like um, we were talking about teams that should in theory be on the beach uh, we mentioned them briefly like Aston Villa seem to be this season's absolutely definitely already in Marbella 
Uh, that's four consecutive defeats for them. They haven't looked like doing much in any of these games. Like I think Tottenham against Tottenham was probably their best performance. They certainly, I think, the XG they they outscored Tottenham in XG, uh, which kind of shows you the, the the ruthlessness of this Tottenham side, especially their attacking players. Like you said, you give them one chance and they'll score, and they almost basically did the same against Newcastle as well last week. And they've got nine goals in a week. Like that's pretty impressive numbers. Um, yeah, the. Conte knows he's 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 a clever guy. He knows how to shut down op, uh, opposition players. He knows how to wait his time and choose the moments to attack. And with this strike force of Song and Kane and, and Kuleski, they, like they're they're able to execute that. And the new signing in Bentecourt kind of knows how to control things. They have hard fighting Italian esque defenders that they've signed ha- happily from Atalanta uh, in the summer, and they're they're starting to really earn their their money now um, under Conte. So. Like I, I, I just think Tottenham are a bit weak, and if someone gets at them, they can go on a losing streak again, the way they did a few weeks ago or a month ago at this stage. But yeah, if if they continue in this uh, fine vein of form, there there's no one going to stop them. Yeah, like uh, really does make you wonder as well, like what Spurs would look like if they just appointed Conte in the summer. Um, you know, the, well the, they wanted to, they did, they wanted um, to. and but their 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 whole strategy was so muddled in the summer. You know, there obviously was the speculation around Harry Kane, who just come off a. A Euros campaign where England got to the final. Um, you know, it was very clear that Kane wanted to leave, but Tottenham kind of half put their foot down, half were willing to listen to offers. It was very muddled yeah. and it left, I think, Conte and a few other managers that they interviewed kind of questioning what was going on and, and what was the plan going forward. And, you know, I think for a lot of, like, they interviewed Conte, um, they interviewed uh, Gattuso, uh, the former Roma manager as well, his name I'm forgetting now. Um, Pellegrini? Is that no, not Pellegrini. It was, um, I can't remember his name now, but they interviewed about four or five people yeah. uh, before eventually landing on Nuno, and you have to imagine that it turned away most of those people being like, well, am I going to get to manage Harry Kane or not? Uh, and if not, am I going to get to spend the money? Uh, you know, a lot of that was very unclear. Yeah. Um, and I think if they just sorted that out, it, well, it still is to an extent, but, you know, yeah. if they just sorted that out early and gotten Conte in, you know, this top four could have been over weeks ago um, and yeah. maybe they could well, have Well, they been... could be up their challenge for third, I yeah. think, easily, given how this Chelsea side has been playing. But, um, yeah, it, it does. It's, I think it, it, this season has been a bit funny. It didn't turn out the way that maybe we thought it would. I thought it would be a lot closer for a lot of the season. You obviously thought Chelsea were going to really t- challenge for this title. It's not necessarily gone that way, but I think the misperformance of some of these top sides, and I include Manchester United and Tottenham in that, has really opened the door and opened the window. Like West Ham, you know, they're 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 starting to come off the rails a bit. They're becoming a little bit inconsistent, but they they had a good run there, and they're still in European places as we stand. Uh, Wolves are very close as well, not not too far behind, and obviously Arsenal have climbed up a few places as well. I think it's it's good and healthy for the league. Uh, maybe not for Tottenham and Manchester United or Chelsea and the like, but it is good that there is a bit more competition in that zone than there than there maybe we're used to. Then at the bottom of the table, Sean Dyche tried some mind games in the aftermath of his uh, Burnley side three two win over Everton, but uh, now looks like uh, the Clarets are going down. Yeah, like I don't know are they psychologically impacted by the Everton Manchester United game, uh, which preceded their their tie, uh, but yeah. Um, Burnley are bad. We we've known this for some time. They made good signings in, in in at the winter window. You know they bought a striker in, having lost Chris Wood, um, to try and you know alleviate the, the the issues they're having in front of goal. I don't think that's necessarily worked, and I I just think they're not good enough. Um, they don't have the the squad depth. They don't have the quality depth in their team anymore that they used to. Uh, I think they've been found out in a couple of occasions this season. They haven't been maybe as as fortunate with the with the fixtures as well they're they're playing fewer sides that coming off of Europe when they play the big teams and they're they're away in home games probably aren't, aren't as uh haven't been as kind to them at, at different times of the of the winter season as well um which they are catching up with now but yeah they're they're just not good enough and Everton are blessed by the fact that there are worse teams than them in the league this year and then uh, finally in the news, Chelsea's Champions League chances uh, took quite a knock when they lost 3-1 at home to Real Madrid. But uh, what about that hat-trick from Karim Benzema? He just has some kind of psychic pull on goalkeepers. Um, it's amazing. Like, Mendy's had a couple of dodgy few weeks now. Like, he, he was very poor uh, last week against Brentford um, and had a couple of 
you know iffy moments in the last few months but they've kind of been like oh he's been such a good goalie for them this year even his distribution has been great shot stopping is fantastic he's kept them alive in certain games this year that it's kind of been overlooked but now it's starting to to look badly i don't know does benzman just have this weird voodoo over over goalies and makes even the best goalies look bad or does he have a a knack of just waiting his right moment to pounce um, maybe he was, you know, eyeing up Mendy for the rest of the game and and like seeing, okay, when's a good place to put him under pressure? And he picked whatever it was, the forty ninth minute of that match or uh, whatever it was. And really, I have from a position of Real Madrid being unexpected. You know, Real Madrid even went into that. The Madrid media were saying that they were, oh, you know, they'll they'll take it, they'll take a drawback to the Bernabeu and 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 take it from there. Um, but really, they couldn't have expected. The, the the ease at which they they were able to rack up the victory and and really almost cement their place in the semi-finals before anybody else yeah like obviously Chelsea were just off the back of that humiliating defeat to Brentford but I still wasn't expecting it to be to play out like this like you know we talked last week about how maybe Chelsea were leaving something in the tank during that Brentford game and that's maybe that yeah that's they, what was the thought was yeah but maybe they were leaving in the tank for Southampton <laughs> yeah they did blow, blow away in fairness probably as a reaction um, and talk about teams on the beach, Southampton uh, getting their annual definitely, drubbing involved. Um, They're getting the tans on, you know. Yeah. So, but to go back Past to the sun cream. to the uh, to the Real Madrid game, like you know, even the the first two goals from Benzema were amazing. Uh, you know, he did that nice little flick as well uh, on a counter attack, which led to Vinicius hitting the crossbar. I think it was very early in the game as a as a as a warning sign almost. Uh, he was he was on it, and uh, it's been. Quite interesting to see how good he's been uh, the last couple of seasons, and he's been given a bit more freedom in the team, and it does make you wonder a bit, like, you know, what what could have been if uh, he'd been given this freedom a little earlier or from the start of his time at Real Madrid. Um, but yeah, the the two headers were fantastic, and then this I saw the compilation someone made. I think I sent it to you as well of like all the times he's just absolutely mugged off goalkeepers in the Champions League and I still yeah. I can't get over the one on Sven Ulreich like just what was going through that man's mind when uh, he saw Benzema coming like is there just something in his eyes like you know he just get lost they're so dreamy maybe that uh, <laughs> the goalkeepers just get lost in them but uh, just it, it's incredible that the voodoo he's got over goalkeepers but uh, you know he, he, uh, after a certain point it's clearly uh, something that he's doing because it can't be luck at this point it, it keeps happening too often um, and, and it's been funny as well seeing Thomas Tuchel's reaction in, in the aftermath of this game claiming multiple times that the tie is over um, which you know has to be mind games you'd imagine at this point given you know, managers don't give up very easily in, in the worst of circumstances. But 3 ones like, not that bad a scoreline to bring back. Like, obviously, it does require having to win 2-0 um, to go to extra time at, at the Bernabeu. But we've seen it been done in recent years. Yeah, like, they're not unbeatable. and, and But I don't know. They, they You wouldn't expect, considering the way that Chelsea kind of won the Champions League last season, really beating out expectations at every tie like I probably thought they were going out at almost every every round last season and certainly didn't have them as the favourites even in the final but th- there they were like just out oh, out saying they're welcome in every every hostile environment getting the results and being really solid and this this tie was the opposite of that uh, and against a team that you know really player for player they should be beating you know it's an it's in some areas it's a very young Madrid side that don't don't have experience this level and in other areas it's a Madrid side that are probably too old um, to be working the way they are at the moment as well as they are not being got at really Chelsea should have the firepower to really shut down that midfield stop Benzema get, even getting the ball and really outpower him uh, putting two men on him up front because he is a lone striker most of the time um, but they didn't, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it's becoming. We'll see how this goes, but maybe there is something afoot at Chelsea. You know, we 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 joke, or we didn't joke, but we 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 discussed and and hypothesized over what would happen at Chelsea following the Roman Abramovich exit and how the the impact of new ownership or the potential impact of points deductions or not being allowed into Europe next season or anything like that might affect the club or the future the 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 kind of the way the players will play and the manager will play and maybe it's it's now slowly starting to come home when when next season's becoming more and more clear in the, in your in your mind's eye and you're like well am I going to be here next year should I be trying this hard should I make sure I don't get injured 
do I need to be doing as much as possible? Do I, as Thomas Tuchel, need to be knocking Real Madrid out if I want a job there in the future and so forth? So we've had the big match and now the terms of our title race have been set. Manchester City lead Liverpool by one point with just seven games remaining. There's been a lot of talk about the best rivalry this week but the next few weeks could define the battle between these two clubs. Where do we stand on their chances following Sunday's 2-2 draw? Like I felt... It's still up in the air. <laughs> that's, that's what I have to say. Uh, to, to sit on the fence firmly. Um, I felt... Uh, and I still feel to to a certain extent that Man City looked like the champions. They feel like the champions. They feel like they felt like they had the upper hand in that match. Uh, Liverpool only really came back into the game when Man City let them get back into the game. And you know, if it weren't for very tight offside calls, Man City probably would have won the game. Um, as, indeed, they had a goal disallowed in the second half that we all probably thought was a goal. Um, so you know, it is a. It is still theirs to lose. They have the lead. They may not have the better goal difference, but they have the points difference, which is the important one at this point in time. Um, and you can say that they probably have the slightly easier run in, whether that means anything at this point, because both sides are indeed capable of winning all seven of the remaining matches, as they've shown uh, their ability to do in the past. Like, are we looking at a 95, 94 point season again? And I'd make a mockery of all our predictions at the beginning of the season that that wouldn't happen again. Um, it's It's very possible. Um, I think next week will probably have a big bearing on how the rest of the league title goes. Um, bear in mind that they're playing each other, isn't it, on Saturday? Yeah, I want to say. Um, and that it would end the, the so-called dream of either a treble in Man City's case or a quadruple in Liverpool's case. Um, it would, you know, it won't end their seasons by any stretch of the imagination, but it does kind of put a bit of a cloud around it. Uh, and I think Liverpool, because they won the league cup, will probably want that a bit more. Uh, and maybe that might put them in a disadvantage when it comes to the league campaign, um, just just on a week to week basis. But I like I don't know. Liverpool certainly looked dangerous uh, at times, but they also looked like they were completely outplayed by Man City at other times. Yeah, like I thought it was a really good game. I was a bit disappointed we didn't get a winner. Like I think that generally would make the yeah. these games more the last twenty five minutes really eased off. I thought I thought both sides kind of went okay. Let's not do anything stupid and lose this game. Yeah, and then City did nearly have that chance at the end. Kevin De Bruyne would absolutely amazing pass to play in uh, Mahrez. I do think I do want to shout out De Bruyne. Who I thought you know, in, in a game with a lot of really good performances, he was by he was head and shoulders better than everyone else on the pitch on Sunday. He was brilliant. That was that was him at his absolute best, and a, and a reminder of how great he can be because um, he does go under the radar a bit. I think with the way that the system becomes more important at City than than any individual. Was he the third or fourth fewest touches of of the ball in, uh, in the game? Like it was very low touch, uh, but when he made touches, he he kind of they were important. Um, but but it's just so much didn't happen in this game, especially uh, that first half where it felt like you know City were all over Liverpool. But then the few yeah. times Liverpool got forward, it felt like they were going to punish um, yeah. Man City. Like there were crazy moments. Like Allison made that brilliant save right before De Bruyne scored. Uh, you know Edison nearly scored one of the most amazing own goals of all time. Uh, <laughs> you know these are things that did lead to goals. It's uh, you know it was a it was just a nuts game. It was really entertaining. The last. 20 minutes did did kind of underwhelm a little and uh yeah it's been it's been interesting like i don't want to devolve this conversation into the best rivalry talk or whatever but oh. uh you know i do think the last 20 minutes kind of encapsulate uh, the people who maybe think it isn't um but uh it, it was funny as well right at the end pep and klopp had the weirdest handshake i've ever seen <laughs> yeah i was i was wondering what pep because pep had saw, I, i'd seen him but then like uh, if anyone didn't see it, it was Pep went in for a kind of Will Smith-esque slap uh, on, on Jurgen Klopp when when they spotted him and then he just went in and gave him a really aggressive high five and a bit of a cuddle but there was no talk afterwards it was a really random way of, of you know usually when that happens the managers be talking to each other afterwards and say oh what a game and all that and you know when it was a Sarri and Klopp had that yeah. was it a one all or two all game at, at, at Sanford Bridge they're like wow football and all that but there was none of that in it it was a very random and odd uh, odd little occasion to have um, but yeah on on the on the topic of uh, rivalries in, in the Premier League at least 
I, I, I don't even think that's the hottest rivalry that's going on at the moment. I think Tottenham and Man City probably have a deeper rivalry and indeed <laughs> maybe Tottenham and Chelsea because those guys kind of hate each other. <laughs> Uh, in ways that that I don't think Liverpool and, and Man City do, they're like there's mutual respect happening there, which is not something you want to see in like ten miles close to a rivalry. Um, I remember uh, Tim Stillman tweeted out that he was at the game in two thousand and four. The that was it the nil all or was a one all the the Van Nistelrooy missed penalty one. Mm. And it was like, now that's a rivalry. Every single player covered themselves in shame, and I got hit by a coin on the way out of the stadium. That's a way. That's a rivalry, not what you know. Kevin De Bruyne talking about how his and and Virgil van Dijk's kids go to the same school and stuff afterwards is like oh, they just know each other outside of football. Isn't that nice? Yeah, like it is strange because like I think it's hard to argue against the fact that these are the two best teams in Europe or two yeah. of the best three at the very least. So uh, in that sense, we're seeing the absolute best of of English football right now and European football right now in uh, these games and and the games do live up to the hype. Like the the one at Anfield earlier in the season was brilliant as well, especially in the second half. First half of this one was chaos as well. Like they they put together two really entertaining matches, and they've done it over the years, um, as well. But I think back to that title race they had, where it was what ninety nine and ninety eight points. I just think that was not fun to watch. Uh, both no. teams just pummeling everyone else, and them winning like nine games in a row each or something ridiculous like that to win the mm-hmm. title. Like we're gonna get like it's hard not to feel like now. Oh, City won, and they're just gonna win the next seven games, and I'll be that. Um, which is yeah. an underwhelming way to end a, 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 what's been a dramatic title race as well. Like we rode off Liverpool four or five months ago, and now they're only one point behind. Like that is an impressive in its own right, and and both teams are are brilliant to watch in general. They're both, well, I wouldn't say maybe brilliant to watch in Man City's case, but they're both brilliant. Um, I should say, and uh, <laughs> they're very efficient. Yeah, efficient is yeah. is a better way to put it. But like yeah. they're they're both clearly two top teams. But there is just that lack of animosity. And, and, you know, how important is animosity to a rivalry? I suppose most people seem to think it is important. Um, but I, I also it, think... It it's... also can buoy teams on. Like, I think mm. I think the fact that everyone hates Chelsea traditionally because of various reasons over the last 10 years has helped them to succeed. Uh, I think that some similar happened with Manchester United in their heyday and, and indeed with any other team like Blackburn Rovers, if you want to go back that far. People didn't like them and they created that kind of siege mentality. And I don't think Man City or Liverpool have that. They're kind of like, oh yeah, the team we don't really care about anymore. Uh, that like, if they do well for now, because they haven't had a, a sustained period of massive success, but like the majority of the public don't really care if Man City or Liverpool win the league. It's not going to really make them feel really bad about the season. Yeah, and I suppose that's that speaks to a greater point about Man City in general. Like they, it's very easy to compare them to Chelsea twenty years ago when they were kind of going through this phase of of. Mm. Well, not even 20 years, 10 years ago after they've already had their initial success. Like, teams really yeah. hated Chelsea. Stamford Bridge yeah. was seen as this miserable place to go to. Um, you know, the atmosphere. Jose, like, the management had something to do with that as well. Like, Jose yeah, but subsequent But, but even Stamford Bridge, like, post-Chelsea was seen as a really difficult place to go to. You know, the atmosphere yeah. was usually quite good. Whereas I just... Watching the game yesterday, I just kept thinking this could have been so much better if it was at Anfield, where there'd there'd actually be a a good crowd. You know, there'd be you know yeah. yelling at each other. Uh, you know, just have that bigger game feel. Uh, you know, the Anyhow does just feel kind of plastic uh, among it all. Um, you know, it's, it's got that curse of a modern stadium, and I don't know how. In a really like, bad think, way, like even relative to some of the other, like the Emirates feels more. Well, it's similar. It's they're they're from the same era. The London Stadium feels more alive at times than the Anyhow does, which is just yeah. really unusual. And I know it's been very easy over the years to make jokes about how it's the empty ad and stuff like that. And Jim Baker yeah. even said it on air once, which was funny. But um, you know, in many ways, like it does live up to that uh, reputation. Yesterday, when it just felt like most people were in the stands sitting on their hands, um, which is. You know that 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 is playing a role in in how people are going to perceive this rivalry. Um, so you know, yeah, because, I, like I, I blame the acoustics more than the fans in a lot of regard. I do know what you're saying, and they do struggle sometimes to fill the <laughs> fill the stadium out. And I know there might be historic reasons for that in Manchester uh, for that. But I do think some of the fans, or a, a good proportion of the fans, that there try to make themselves heard. Mm. But yeah, if you're comparing them with like they're they're at a disadvantage already because they're in a modern stadium that doesn't have the 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 same atmospheric you know credentials as somewhere like Anfield or Old Trafford or or even Stamford Bridge or or somewhere like that but yeah they're it, it is a bit of a 
a, b- a bit of a concern for them and and i do think you know with all of the great investment made in man city it may be worth looking into ways to make the atmosphere better make the place more of a cauldron make the place more of an intimidating venue because they don't have that uh, and it is an advantage the likes of liverpool have the likes of manchester united even still have yeah and then just you know in terms of the the conversation and the build-up to the game like i thought it was, it, there were some interesting points made it got a bit overdone by the time kickoff happened um, and this might just be me seeing it on Twitter or whatever, but uh, I I do find it a little disappointing how it was either this or the Man United Arsenal. There were no other options, um, you know, because well, English football has had many great rivalries over the years, and I I don't want to be one of those old Sky invented football old men well, type things, but like you know Liverpool Forest, even Liverpool Everton, like this might not even be Liverpool's best rivalry ever, let alone um the best rivalry in english football like they they've had some fantastic rivalries in the past that that really had an intensity and, and stakes and at hand that really mattered and uh they seem to be just kind of forgotten this week which i found very unusual even from liverpool yeah fans. like part of that's you know, like look who who brought this up was it jamie carragher originally brought this up in his telegraph column like it, it was done to create buzz around something to create a conversation piece to set tribal fan bases at each other um, like you can make arguments for Crystal Palace and Brighton you can make arguments about how much Southampton and Portsmouth fans hate, hate each other you can make arguments about Leeds and Manchester mm. United about Leeds and Liverpool about Leeds and Arsenal basically Leeds and everyone who whoever <laughs> yeah. with Leeds back in the 70s um, they they all hate each other uh, to, to, to a greater or lesser extent and they all had long term rivals it is definitely a recency bias and the closest you know big rivalry that existed that persisted over multiple years was Arsenal Manchester United like it 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 you know i i suppose it was it was it was the first of those type of kinds and it was the first that uh, so called narrative got to be built around you know in in the 70s and 80s there wasn't a sophisticated sky machine happening that could build up storylines like i know you're a fan of formula one and you can see it in in recent weeks there them trying to build up a a a, you know, a rivalry that doesn't exist between uh charles leclerc and, and max verstappen and it's just them trying to build a narrative build this kind of pantomime soap opera in in into their way of selling the product to their consumer uh, and i think that is kind of what Jamie Carragher was trying to do with this as well as stoke up you know rival up rival fans and and trying to get a bit of you know one-upmanship on on Manchester United or other rivals from the past as well um and that's all I see it to be like Man City Liverpool they're the best teams at the moment but you know that changes year to year you know Leicester Spurs did they have a massive rivalry when they're the best two teams in the league I don't think so and, and and the funny thing now as well is that for all the the talk between this rivalry and the one between Man and, and and Arsenal is that it's leading to probably the most important FA Cup game since that that classic one in '99 between Arsenal and and Man United that was also a, a semi final that um, that Man United came out on top at the time and now I suppose um, is this uh, Man City's moment to uh, to go and win their own treble. I don't know. Like I, I feel Liverpool because they have the the because they don't have success in this tournament. Like they have wins, they haven't won an FA Cup since two thousand and six, and Liverpool historically don't win many FA Cups. Um, and it was a very hard trophy for them to win originally. I think was it sixty yeah, five yeah. they first won it or something like that, and it took them years to recover from it. Um, under Shankly. I think it, for that reason and for Klopp's history in this tournament as well and probably his underperformance in this tournament, I think they'll mean it'll mean more to them uh, going into this uh, into this match. And, you know, I, I, I think on that, I think Man City might see it as well. If, if this match is pulling away from them, they may say, OK, we'll lose in this, but we're going to win the league because we've already lost the League Cup. It's not like we're going to win every trophy anyway. Um, and they'll go with it like that. I, that's just my inkling at this point. It could go either way, though. And, and this does lead to one of the very rare things that we get in football that we get a lot in a lot of American sports is we get a bit of a series of matches between the same two teams. And obviously we get a little bit in the Champions League with the two-legged affair. But, you know, in in, a, in basketball, they play seven games. And in baseball, yeah. they play seven games to determine a winner. And it almost feels like maybe we should do this more often because, you know, I'm going uh... into it thinking like, you know... You know, Pep had some comments after the game implying he was going to do something different, and it was like, oh yeah, if uh, if the managers actually do go into the games treating them as a sequel to the next one, and now they have to learn from it and do something different and uh, and innovate or whatever, like that can be 
really exciting and and if we can get these two teams playing a different way and it still being a, a good game like uh you know i think that could be really fun like uh, obviously the the biggest one we've ever had i'd say in the history of european football was that one between uh jose's uh real madrid and pep's barcelona and yeah. uh, at the start of the last decade so you know if it, it, i don't think it'll quite match the same intensity because i'm not sure many rivalries in, in world football could uh match the intensity of that rivalry at the time but uh you know if it can if it can reach the same entertainment value then uh, we could be in for a brilliant game on saturday yeah, we don't have a Pepe this time, but you know, we could we could we could make do with somebody else in the side to be the pantomime villain in, in, in this case. Um I fundamentally disagree. I don't like having too many matches. Like sometimes it's fun once in a while. I don't like series of matches because you get the case more often than not that managers start playing if you know, at legs almost. And they, you know, oh we'll take this one, we'll lose the next one. I think that's the way Mourinho started approaching them, especially in the one he won the league when they played each other multiple times again and he kind of took the defeats in one tournament and won the one in the league and took the victory from that and I didn't like the way that went. Um but yeah, like it, I think this will will still have some kind of that genuine interest associated with it. And I think yeah, you've unearthed a good point there that Man City do have an awful lot in the locker that they didn't really deploy. Like, I know Mares came on and I know uh, Jack Grealish came on for the last 10 minutes in the match and they had Phil Foden kind of floating around the left-hand side, not really playing, coming into the side, into the middle a couple of times and really looking dangerous. Like, there's a lot of, of variants that Man City have not deployed against Liverpool yet and they really could and maybe they're saving it for a match that they have to win and, and this league game wasn't that. Yeah, and um, you know they could be meeting as well in the Champions League final. Yeah. Um, which, you know, based on how the first legs went, uh, we assume they'll both end up in the semi-finals at least, and then you you put them as the favourites to go through. So it is, a, you know, a distinct possibility at the very yeah. least. Um, that we could know. you imagine if Pep loses another final? <laughs> yeah, two two Liverpool would be um as well. That would that that might spark something, <laughs> some animosity there. And uh, how do you come back from that? Like, how do you come back? Yeah, and like Pep made some comments midweek. I didn't get to see them specifically, but I, I saw people referencing them saying he might actually extend his stay at City, which would be kind of interesting as well because we're already in uncharted territory for how long he can sustain um, a run at a club. And if, if they don't win the Champions League this year, you'd almost start to think like how how long can these players keep this up while still keeping faith in, in, in winning that one prize that they haven't uh, gotten hold of yet because, you know, as good as they are in the league and as good as they've been in the Champions League, like the fact that they haven't won the Champions League is still a, a pretty black cloud hanging over Pep and this team because, you know, that is the mark of greatness at this point is winning the Champions League and Liverpool have done yeah. that. Um, yeah. So, you know, I do think that gives Liverpool the edge psychologically as well going into these cup games that they'll be playing. Yeah, it's true. Like... I, I think a, a rebuild with some core players still there would be the next step if, if Pep was to stay on. I don't know how psychologically he would really come back from if they if it was to materialise the way you, you put it out there that they would lose to Liverpool in the final. I don't know how that would work, but um, it would be pretty funny, if not very cruel on the guy. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how things go. We're, we're putting the cart very far ahead of the horse at this point. Uh, both sides could yeah, go out to the Champions League in the quarterfinal stage and, and it wouldn't be the massive, most biggest, most biggest. It wouldn't be the largest shock in, in, in football history and all of this could be moot. I love football. Thank you. As we mentioned, it's a, it's a big week uh, for the two top protagonists away from the Premier League this week. Uh, of course, they've got that FA Cup game, but uh, who do we think will will we see in the final against them? They've got either Chelsea or Crystal Palace. Well, you know, maybe Chelsea have been keeping it all in the tank for the FA Cup. Maybe <laughs> that was uh, Thomas Tuchel's design all along, is to win the tournament. He, he still could win that he hadn't won already. Um, and go for it and, and you know seek revenge for last season's demise um i i could see them doing it i could see i could see chelsea going through but like palace were a bit disappointing this weekend um or did they play didn't they play that this weekend i'm not imagining that yeah they did they they lost to leicester yeah it was leicester leicester are back on their their late season they're doing the opposite of every other season yeah. they won um, i get top four yeah 
but like there is a thought that maybe they it took a lot out of them on their Monday night victory against Arsenal and and as well as that they're kind of saving something in the tank now our assumption of, of teams putting something aside in the tank was grossly destroyed last week with the way Chelsea were defeated by Real Madrid um, but like I think the game is there for the taking for, for both sides if they want to um, like Chelsea obviously have the squad depth they have the the quality they're Champions League winners of, of course and some in some cases World Cup winners um, but Palace really like if they play that high pressing game like there is mistakes in this Chelsea backline it's been shown this season and you know there's lovely high pressing football from from Palace that really can get under the skin of some of these Chelsea players and and we as we've seen this season when things start going against Chelsea they don't have much to come back from um, and yeah all they need to do is take an easy an early goal and and Palace could have another uh, another FA Cup final to lose. Yeah, it's, uh, Chelsea lost the last two uh, FA Cup finals. I realised there, didn't they? So, because um, they lost Arsenal as well with the first pandemic final. So, this could be third time lucky as well to try and get there and, and beat one of Liverpool and Man City. But uh, you know, it's it's going to be there's a lot of interesting dynamics. Obviously, Chelsea have the Champions League tie, which we'll talk about now in a second. But uh, Palace, um, you know, maybe see the same as something in the tank, but they won't have uh, Gallagher for this game uh, due to the rules mm. that have come in there lately. I don't know, it was this last season or the season before where uh, lone players can't play against their parent club in, in the Cups, which used to be the case and is probably a bit unfair. Like, I'm not sure Gallagher would uh, sack off a, a semi-final uh, just because he's playing against his parent club. I think that would be, um, you know, a, a bit of a disrespect to the professionalism of the man. Um, so I think Vieira is quite disappointed with that and I'm sure Gallagher as well has an opportunity to play at Wembley um, you know that he yeah. might not get again we never know and, he's, and he has been one of the you know prime pressers in that team like he did a man marking job on Thomas Partey you'd imagine he'd be doing something similar on a Chelsea midfielder whoever would start in that game uh, and really just be putting them under pressure at every aspect of the game but Palace in that area they kind of do have a lot of good runners at least on the bench as well to come on and, and do stuff like they do have one of the stronger benches in the top 10 of the Premier League um, more stronger than you would think like they, mm. there's not a huge difference or gap uh, between their first and second teams which is you know something to to point towards in this I, I, I do think they have to work as a tight unit to get anything out of this Chelsea game uh, they'll have to pounce on mistakes and create mistakes um, in in their defensive unit and and really make like make Chelsea tired uh, and give them no option but to but to succumb to them. It'll be very it'll be an interesting game. I think it's probably not as exciting as as the other semi final, but I think there will be uh there will be an interesting result out of it. Yeah, and uh, then obviously the Champions League is this week as well, which um you know is the quarterfinal stages. We got our second legs, and we had a couple of surprise results. We talked about Real Madrid, Chelsea, and. Uh, you know, do we really think Chelsea can turn this around? I, I think they can. You think they can? Oh, I'd be interested to see that. <laughs> um, I think they have every potential to do it. I think they have the players. And I, as I said, I think pound for pound, they probably have better players than Real Madrid in a lot of positions. And Real Madrid don't do what we were just talking about with Palace. They don't have the ability to get under the skin of the, the opposition and to, to cause them six. Unless you're Kareem Benzema facing a goalkeeper, then you absolutely do. But in every other case in the pitch, they don't. Um, but I think two goals is a big is a big big lead to overcome, and that would just be to bring in it to extra time. Uh, I think Real Madrid have had the ability to kind of think about this and, and relax a bit more in terms of their league campaign and everything else that's going on there. And like I think Carlo's been there and done that uh, in a way that Thomas Tuchel, you know, while he has won a Champions League, he isn't as wily an operator as Carlo, and you know. A lot of things have to go against Real Madrid for them to actually fall out of this tournament at this point. And I think it's a bad person to bet against Real Madrid in the Champions League. I've done it enough times in my past. Yeah, I'm not saying that Real Madrid are going out. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think this is going to be uh, another drubbing in, in Real Madrid's favour. I could see Chelsea getting a goal back in this game and then a kind of feeling of whatever could happen or something or, or anything could happen. Uh, sorry, I could, um, could 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 take hold of the Bernabeu so um, yeah it's definitely going to be uh, worth watching it's not going to be one that we can ignore though um, yeah we've got a couple other big ties Atletico Madrid will need to turn it around against City and uh, you know we've said that they're not as great away from home as they are at home maybe that'll play into their hands this week they were they didn't they didn't really offer much on uh, not Tuesday one night. shot on target Joao Felix like they played the and it wasn't just a joke for Twitter. Like the, for most of that game, uh, Atletico Madrid played a five-five formation, 
uh, a flat five at the back and a flat five in midfield playing probably on the 10 yards in front of their D um, not not great football <laughs> not a great advertisement for football a wonderful tactical exercise uh, I think for both teams and I think it showed the, the dichotomy between their both philosophies in football but I just I just didn't see Atletico getting anything out of that game and I think if City can keep the same control that they mustered in the first leg in this leg and that and remember now like Jao Cancelo will be playing at his right position Kyle Walker will be back to cover up space as well after his three game ban I, I do think that Man City will have enough to drive that through and bring themselves into the semi-final yeah then of course I don't really see Benfica getting through Liverpool they did give Liverpool a good run for their money in that game and I think Darwin Nunes has caught enough eyes that he's been uh, linked with a, f- a big move away in the last couple of hours but uh, yeah I don't think uh, Liverpool are going to have any trouble in Anfield uh, with this one no notwithstanding Darwin Nunes is a fantastic pizza grass that I've seen being shared around like he he does seem to outperform everything else but he is playing in the Portuguese league for what it's worth uh, so I'd, I'd see I, I, I'd cautious cautious optimism with, with his future in other leagues and other spheres around Europe he seems to have everything it takes but I don't know if he'd do it yeah similar to to what happened at uh, in the first leg at Man City Atletico what Liverpool didn't have as easy a run uh, per se they did look the better side throughout and bringing them back to Anfield and considering that they don't have say the pressing league worry that they did last week I know they're playing the same team at the FA Cup but it's a bit of a different kettle of fish um, I, I do fancy Liverpool to, 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 to solidify their lead and take it into the semi-final then uh, finally, uh, Unai Emery's uh, wild boys, can they uh, keep their 1-0 lead against Bayern Munich? I'm a bit concerned they won't. Um, like, Bayern went in, you know, they, they talked very cleverly. I think it was a Muller and a few other players speaking after that game last week spoke about it not being over yet, about them learning a lot about themselves and about the way Villarreal play in that in that first leg and, and they said they have to go and win the league at the weekend and they, they basically did they're nine points clear now and it's looking like it's I don't think it's mathematical yet but they're because there's more than three games left in, in the Bundesliga but it's it's pretty assured at this point that, that they're going to at least you know creep over the line and win that league title Um, so they're, they're all focused will now be on the Champions League and really given the opposition that are left in the tournament you can see Bayern Munich thinking we're 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 the best team in this. We don't have to worry about fighting a league campaign, fighting a cup campaign, being wrecked every week, having to win matches, and we have very good players. If we just focus on three cup finals, i.e., the semi final, two legs, and the final, we could do something if we get through Villarreal. Um, and I think maybe that'll work against Unai Emery because he'll be very conservative in his way of thinking. I think they'll try and hold on to the lead and I don't think that's the way to, to win against the Bayern Munich side. I think attacking them is the best way, best form of defence. Yeah, like uh, it was very impressive that they got the win here and, you know, I think, you know, their run has gone kind of a little under the radar as Europa League champions, uh, you know, say what you will about how they won it and the the, the yeah. madness of that penalty shootout. But they've they've taken advantage of the, the pathway into the Champions League. They've gotten to a quarterfinal. They've not been here since 2006 when they got to the semifinals and they lost uh, to Arsenal. So, um, you know, if they could get to another semi-final, that would be a massive achievement for, for the team and Emery. And uh, they deserve a lot of credit for even being in the conversation. I, I'm sure a lot of people have written or wrote them off going into this game. I think I kind of wrote them off thinking Bayern would kind of crush them. Um, so that they're even in it, I think, is, um, you know, a credit to everyone involved at the club. And, you know, it's easy to forget that, like, Villarreal, like, they're in a very, very small place in Spain. Like, this isn't a Madrid, this isn't a Barcelona. Like, they're no. in a very small area, and they've done very well to, to make it such a big name of themselves, even. Yeah, like, it, it is a, a triumph for them to be to be quite honest um like i i personally thought they should have been knocked out by by old boys in uh in the group stages and and they were very lucky to get through that but they like they really did school juventus they have such a shoestring budget they're doing well to be in la liga from where they are as you said it's a small town um and this is the you know they have a chance of reaching the champions league semi-finals for the second time in their history which is in itself a, a fantastic achievement and and being one like well Real Madrid are still in it, but being one of the only Spanish uh, teams left in it is is pretty impressive. 
Yeah, and you know, uh, as an underdog story, it's definitely something worth rooting for, and uh, it would be amazing to see them get to the semi-final and see Emery go up against uh, Liverpool in that semi-final. It would be very fun, um, even if it wouldn't be that entertaining. I'm sure you know Emery, of course, uh, very uh, defensive in his ways, but uh, it's, it would still be quite entertaining. I'm sure. Oh yeah, it would like. Uh... I think at that stage you're kind of living, you're you're having the crack, so you don't really mind how good or bad it could be. Yeah, it would, it would be novel, um, which yeah. uh, would be something in itself. So, uh, but then again, I'd also love to see Liverpool against this Bayern side. I'm sure that would be, uh, you know, two brilliant football games as well. So, oh, absolutely, spoiled for choice in that sense. So, uh, you know, it's a big week of football ahead anyway to find out who gets into that Champions League final uh, or semi-final. But until then, thank you for being here, Andrew, and thank you for having me, Declan. I'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. This show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Medium page in the show notes. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Conbon27, C-O-N-B-O-N, and myself at CheesyHeartPun, C-H-E-E-S-Y-H-I-R-T-E-P-U-N. Most of all, thank you for listening, and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.